I was remembering, uh, actually, I haven't forgotten since that day, I'll, I'll tell you why. It was December 13th, just a few weeks ago, right before we broke uh, for the Christmas holidays. Um, December 13th, it was a Thursday morning, we were in here uh, studying Psalm 40 to kind of wrap up the semester. Um, it, was a, it was a great morning. Uh, I, I headed home from Amen that morning. Uh, Thursdays are my, are my day off from the office, so I was heading home, had a, a list for my wife of some things to do. One of the things on that list was that uh, we had a leak uh, under our kitchen sink. And let me just say that 10 years ago, riding home uh, to take care of this leak from the kitchen sink, I would have been a little distraught. And I would have been distraught because uh, of a couple things. One, that, um, that at that point in my life, I just wouldn't have felt confident enough in my finances to be able to just call a plumber to come over and not have any clue what uh, the price might be to get that fixed. So that was number one stress 10 years ago. The other stress 10 years ago was that then that meant that I had to fix this pipe on my own if I was going to save money, which added a whole nother level of stress. Um, but, but several weeks ago, December 13th, I actually drove home with some confidence. Uh, because I had some money in the bank, and I, and I thought to myself, you know what? Um, I bet it's probably not going to cost me more than a couple hundred dollars at the most. Maybe it's going to cost me a little less, just fix this leak. And, uh, and I didn't have any fear. Um, I felt like, hey, I'm in a good place. Drove home, had the plumber come over um, that afternoon. Actually was kind of excited to see him. Um, and uh, felt good. Um, within about 20 minutes, he called me back into the kitchen and he said, uh, hey, Ty, we can't, we can't touch any of this. And I was like, oh, why? And he said, because I, I think you've got some mold here. Again, I felt a little bit of confidence thinking, I've got some money in the bank and it's okay. I'm not, it's, I'm not, I'm not I don't have to despair. So I said, hey, who would you suggest to, to check this out? He suggested these guys um, that, that specialize in taking care of mold. They actually came the next day. And, they, and I thought, boy, this is great. And they went around with their little, you know, little meters and things like that. He wrote up an estimate to me. And when I got the estimate that afternoon, that's when my confidence started to sink fast. <laughs> All of a sudden, what I thought my... He handed me an estimate for $1,800. That was just to get rid of the mold in my cabinets. That was not to replace. That was just to, when he would be done, there would be no mold and no cabinets. <laughs> well, it's, uh, it's been now um, five weeks that we have not had a kitchen. <laughs> and, uh, and my confidence is totally shot. Uh, um, we, are, we are in the process of what's turned out from a, from a little bit of a leak uh, to what's turned into kind of a kitchen remodel. Um, my wife's happy. Um, I'm not happy. You know, when you get to Psalms, like Psalm 49, it's easy, it's easy to look at Psalm 49, and if you've already read it, we'll read it here in a second, to think, yeah, that's great. I'm, I'm glad God has put these Psalms in the Bible for those rich guys who, who take their confidence and their security in their wealth. And in some ways, to kind of think, I'm not one of those guys. 
But you know what? It doesn't matter what your checkbook looks like or your bank account looks like right this morning. Doesn't matter. Uh, doesn't matter what your 401k looks like this morning, which, you know, since December, it's not looked good. Doesn't matter what that is. All of us are tempted to take confidence and security, whether you have it or you don't have it, in our wealth. And as I was preparing even this week for uh, uh, this teaching on Psalm 49, um, Tim Keller, in his uh, books, The Songs of Jesus, devotion book, he actually takes three different days to talk through Psalm 49. And he writes this prayer at the end. And boy, when I read this prayer uh, on Monday, I was deeply convicted. It says this, Lord, I often catch myself imagining how much greater my life would be if I had more. I also quietly boast in my heart when I see myself able to afford certain goods and inhabit certain places. Save my heart from such shallowness and foolishness. Even as I drove home that day from uh, Amen back on December 13th, I had both issues. I would have said, you know what? Definitely tempted to think my life would have been be better if I had more. And I drove home quietly boasting in my heart that I was not panicked about a leak under my sink. <laughs> and the Lord had something to teach me, and the Lord has something to teach us this morning. Let's read Psalm 49, these 20 verses. The psalmist writes this, Hear this, all peoples, give ear, all inhabitants of the world, both low and high, rich and poor together. My mouth shall speak wisdom, the meditation of my heart shall be understanding. I will incline my ear to a proverb. I will solve my riddle to the music of the lyre. Why should I fear in times of trouble when the iniquity of those who cheat uh, me surrounds me? Those who trust in their wealth and boast in the abundance of their riches. Truly no man can ransom another or give to God the price of his life. For the ransom of their life is costly and can never suffice. That he should live on forever and never see the pit. For he sees that even the wise die, the fool and the stupid alike must perish, and leave their wealth to others. Their graves are their homes forever, their dwelling places to all generations, though they called lands by their own names. Man in his pomp will not remain, he is like the beasts that perish. This is the path of those who have foolish confidence, yet after them people approve of their boasts. Like sheep they are appointed for Sheol, death shall be their shepherd. And the upright shall rule over them in the morning. Their form shall be consumed in Sheol with no place to dwell. But God will ransom my soul from the power of Sheol, for he will receive me. Be not afraid when, man, when a man becomes rich, when the glory of his house increases. For when he dies, he will carry nothing away. His glory will not go down after him. For though while he lives, he counts himself blessed. And though you get praise when you do well for yourself... His soul will go to the generation of his fathers who will never again see light. Man in his pomp, yet without understanding, is like the beasts that perish. I love that Mike Stokey, uh, when he titled this and breaking up the, uh, the series this spring, titled this psalm a reality check. And I thought that'd be great for us this morning. Why don't we just take a reality check on the way that we're living life and let's do so by asking ourselves 
these five questions that I think come from Psalm 49. These five questions that would then give us a filter through which we can just check what's going on in our lives. How are we, how are we living? The first question we can see in verses 1 through 4 is this. Where do I get my answers? Notice that in these first four verses, the psalmist is making his introduction. He's giving a statement about uh, what he's about to do. And he's looking at what seems like an injustice or confusing. How can there be a good sovereign God who, who is just, and yet these, these, these people who don't have, don't have any regard for God, they have wealth. They seem to have security. And that's the mystery that he wants to solve. But also notice, before we get into this, this psalmist is not just bringing about these answers just for believers, just for the people of God, or just for himself. He says right off the bat, listen everyone, this is for all. And then he says, both low and high, whether or not you're in a position of great authority or you're like at the bottom rung of the ladder, whether you're rich or poor, this is not just a psalm for supposedly rich people. This is a psalm for everyone. These are things that all of us have to to look at. And then he uses words in verses 3 and 4 like wisdom, meditation, proverb. These are, these are direct connections really to the, to the book of Proverbs, to the wisdom literature. What he's saying is, uh, or to what, what would be the book of Proverbs, what he is saying is this. I want to seek God's wisdom in this. I want, to know what, I want to know what God intended in these things. I want to know what God is trying to teach in these things. And then he says, I love this, and this verse 4 is key for this question. He says, I'm going to incline my ear to a proverb. I'm going to incline my ear to God's wisdom. I'm going to listen. I'm going to listen to God. I'm not going to listen to the world. I'm not going to listen to my own heart. I'm not going to listen to, to, to myself. I'm going to incline my ear, listen to God's word. Are we doing that? Certainly the, one of the greatest things, one of the greatest legacies of Amen Bible Study and those who come here is that you come every Thursday morning to listen to God's wisdom, to, to let God's word, His voice, unravel the mysteries, the riddles that you face in life, whether it's in your home or your relationships or your work um, or in politics or in economics or whatever. You're saying, I, I want to listen to God's voice. And we need to be doing that every day. Where are we getting our answers? When we do feel distraught, we do feel overwhelmed, we do feel confused about things in the world or in our life or in our home, where do we get our answers? Are we listening? Are we inclining our ear to God's wisdom? And then he goes on, verses 5 and five through 9, and, and he asks this question, in what is my security? In what is my security? It would be real tempting to look at this psalm and say this is about wealth, it's about rich people, but we've already made the the clarity, we've already been clear that, hey, this is for both low and high. This is both rich and poor. And we also know from the rest of our Bibles that having wealth is not the issue. Whether you got a hundred bucks in your bank account or you have a hundred million bucks in your bank account, that's not the issue. You're not sinful, you're not more godly if you have a hundred dollars in your bank account and more sinful and less godly if you have a hundred million in your bank account. That's not the issue. The issue is not the wealth. As one of my dear friends said to me when I was going through money struggles, 
uh, a very godly wise man, um, looked at me and he said, it's just money, Todd. <laughs> That's not the issue. It's not even the issue in the psalm. The issue is not money. The issue is control and security. It's control and security. That's why those words are used in verses 5 and 6, fear and trust. Whom do I, why do I fear? And those who trust in their wealth, fear and trust. It's about control and it's about security. And the thing is, we often look to, often, like every day, we look to possessions and certainly wealth, uh, even, again, an extra hundred bucks, we look to that as a way of having security, as a way of having control. Why did I quietly boast in my heart as I drove home from Amen to call the plumber? Because I, I felt I was in control. I had that money in my account. I felt secure in, in my bank account, in the ability to pay this plumber. So it wasn't about the money. It was about where I was finding my security and how I was seeking to control. And the reality is, and the psalmist points it out, there are benefits. He points out benefits to wealth. He actually mentions four of them. Mike Andrus, who I will uh, talk about a little bit later, a pastor in Kansas City, he points this out, and I really I think it's great to, to, to notice. Four benefits that the psalmist points out. The first one is in verse 11, is that uh, people uh, remember your name because you're plastering your name on all kinds of buildings and lands and everything. And we can't drive around Memphis very far. <laughs> Shoot, we can't even get off this campus uh, without noticing that somebody's name is on this building, that building, the other building. And that's a, that's a blessing that, that, that people that have great wealth enjoy. Their, their name is remembered. And the psalmist is saying that's, that's what's happened. Uh, you get to, to, they, they name lands. Also notice in uh, verse 13, one other benefit of, of wealth is, look, it says, yet after them people approve of their boasts. They're quoted. Like we actually get really excited in, to hear what, what, what these guys say or what these women say. You know, so Bezos, who's, a, who's now the richest man in the world, uh, head of Amazon, um, you know, I'm pretty sure, and this is what's weird about us, right? If we invited him to come speak at Amen Bible Study, even though he doesn't have a theology degree <laughs> and may not even be a believer, we probably would show up in here. I'd show up. I'd like to hear what he'd have to say. Why? Because he's the richest man in the world. And when you have great wealth, people, you know, we're... People care about what you say, even if you're speaking on a topic that doesn't, you don't even have any expert on. Not only that, in, verses, uh, in verse 16, it says that the, wealth, uh, the wealthy, they have these grand homes. They have grand houses. And we talk about them. I was a summer, uh, summer intern in youth ministry decades ago. And uh, at this church where I attended, I was at this pretty nice home for my first month, a host home, and then they needed to move me to a different host home. And I remember driving through the gates of this host home, getting really excited because I saw that the house actually had a name. It was called West Wind. I was like, wow, I'm living in a house called West Wind. Um, there were three people living in this house, mom and dad and the one 16-year-old son. Uh, just for fun, the 16-year-old son and I 
went around, and he didn't know. He didn't know this fact about the house in which he lived, West Wind. We counted 21 TVs and 19 VCRs in this house. And I'm for three people. Um, and I'll just confess to you, when we went around counting it, I didn't count with like, wow, this is terrible. They, what a complete waste of money. I was like, this is awesome. <laughs> I want to live in West Wind. <laughs> they have grand homes. Psalmist goes on, verse 18, fourth benefit he mentions of wealth. He says that they get praise when they do well for themselves. It says, though he lives and he counts himself blessed, I mean, people praise him. So we look at Bill Gates, we look at Bezos, we go, wow, I wish I could have thought of that. I wish I could have thought like that guy did. There's a series on right now, I think it's on the History Channel, or I can't, anyways, it's, this, it's five, five uh, episodes called Valley of the Boom, and it's talking about what happened in the mid-90s with the, uh, with the um, dot-com boom and, and the internet. And you find yourself, as you're watching this, going, wow, those guys are pretty awesome. <laughs> I wish I could have been one. Those guys are smart. I wish I could have been one of those guys. Here are the benefits of wealth. But then notice what the psalmist does here as he's, he's looking at where is my security. Verse, verses 7 and 8 are so key. He, he brings it down to the very issue the very heart of the issue, even as he talks about the benefits, he says, Truly no man can ransom another or give to God the price of his life, for the ransom of their life is costly and can never suffice. Psalmist gets right to the heart of the matter and he uses these, this language of ransom, which really would have reflected in that time when, uh, when a king was captured or somebody very valuable was captured by a, a, an opposing enemy, they would often ask for a, a ransom for the, for the price of the king. We'll give you back your king if you give us this money. And of course, the amount was great, but usually there was enough money, there was enough gold, there was enough possessions to ransom the king. And the psalmist is saying, but you know what? For your life, for the ultimate king, God, for, for the ultimate end, death, what is... Do you, have what, do you have enough money? Do you have enough wealth? Do you have enough power to keep yourself from dying? To keep yourself from facing judgment? Do, you, do we have that? And the psalmist is saying it's costly. In fact, the word costly in the Hebrew there in verse 8 is really, it's unattainable. It's priceless. It's a cost you cannot pay. And so where is my security? The psalmist is saying... If your security is in your wealth, let me just be clear that the cost of death, you cannot pay. There is, there, is, there is not enough security available to you to get through the judgment on your own. You cannot ransom your own life. You can't ransom another person's life. Which leads us to the next question in verses 10 through 12. What is, what is my finish line? What is my finish line? Why do I use those words, finish line? Years ago when I did student ministries, um, and I still talk, when I talk to parents uh, in East Memphis, I, I talk about this. And I imagine that maybe the same problem exists in other, other parts of America and other cities and other areas. I only, 
I only mention East Memphis because for the last almost 18 years, that's where I've worked, that's where I've ministered, that's what I know. One of our problems here uh, in East Memphis when we're par- as parents of teenagers or parents of elementary kids, I think is that we have a wrong finish line. So as we parent, I tell them, your, your, we're, your end game for your son or daughter is at the wrong place. Wrongly placed, the finish line that most East Memphis parents have in mind for their kids is high school graduation. In other words, their whole goal, their whole focus is where I get to say that my son or daughter is going to college. That is the ultimate, that is the, the grand prize in East Memphis. The, the one, the trophy we can carry around. That's, that's our highest aim. Well, it's, it's a terrible finish line, it's a pathetic aim, and it's a waste, useless trophy, which after you have the trophy, by the way, within three months of your kid going to college, no one cares about that trophy anymore. Uh, and, and then usually your son or daughter makes that trophy worthless somehow anyways. But all that, that's a whole other story. All that to say is that's our great temptation in East Memphis to make that our finish line. And so we parent and we structure our homes to reach that finish line. Wrong finish line. The right finish line, I think, is what kind of man or woman do you want your son or daughter to be when they're 25 years old? I think it's a better finish line. I think you'll parent better. I think you make wiser choices. I think it'll be easier to make decisions. I think you won't panic as much when, uh, if your finish line is where do they get into college, man, you're going to be panicking a lot. (laughs) But if your finish line is what kind of man or woman are they going to be when they're 25, it just changes your perspective. The psalmist here is wanting to grab our perspective to say, hey, where is your your finish line? He says, all people are going to die. Rich, poor, wise, stupid, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. All of us are going to die. And all of us are going to, uh, all of us have our days numbered for us in such a way that we can't add, as God's word says, one day to our lives. And so then that begs the question for us, where's our, where's our own finish line? Um, when are we going to die? We don't know when we're going to die. And then what's it, you know, what does that mean for us? I, I, uh, I started taking the newspaper again. I tried to do the whole electronic thing, and I guess I'm just too old. I like to hold a paper in my hand, right? So I know all the, all the young adults I work with just ridicule me. Because I'm not looking on my iPad. I'm like, they're like, you still take the paper? I'm like, I just like to hold it. So I swore I never would do this. But, you know, as I flip through the pages of, of section, you know, A, you, know, you get to the back and there's the obituaries. And I always used to rag on my father who would talk to me about the obituaries reading. I'm like, why do you do that? That's so morbid. And I, I'm, all of a sudden I'm reading them. I'm like, maybe if you get over 50 and you start reading obituaries. But... What's fascinating about that is that, honestly, you have no idea who's wealthy or who's poor on that page. And it doesn't matter, does it? Now, certain family members have decided to spend a lot more money to put a lot more stuff in the obituary. But you can even ask yourself, that we could ask of everybody on that, those pages today, well, how much did... How much did that guy leave? How much did that woman leave? How much did they leave? The answer is the same, right? Everything. <laughs> they left it all. <laughs> they took nothing with them. That's 
what the psalmist is saying. That's our finish line. So here's what it means. We got to get our finish line can't be early retirement. Now I don't care if you take early retirement. That's not the issue. It just can't be your finish line for how you're conducting yourselves, your life, your security. Your finish line can't be 65. Your finish line can't be 70. Your finish line has to be whenever the Lord takes you, and you don't know where that is, but that's how you've got to think. What is my finish line? My finish line is whenever the Lord decides to take me. So I'm, I'm planning to serve Him. I'm planning to trust in Him for that day. I don't get to pick that day. I'm not going to live forever. That's another place our finish line can't be. Our finish line can't be forever because that's not going to happen. I know maybe a lot of us would love to live to, to 90, maybe even 100. Some of us are like, please don't make me live to 100. Whatever it is that you want, we're not in control of that. But that is a finish line. So what does it mean for us? Well, so many places in Scripture it tells us what it means for us as we think about our finish line being whenever God takes us. So then it, if God is in control of that, it begs the question, then why is He giving me today? And then that starts to shape today. That's why in Psalm 90, verse 12, it says, the psalmist says, Lord, teach us to number our days that we may serve you. And at the end of the psalm, it says, establish the work of our hands. In other words, Lord, I know you've given me this day for your mission, so let me live for your mission, not for myself, not for my security, but to trust you. I'm trusting you for my security. Ephesians 5, verse 16 says, redeem the time. So just as we redeem economies and redeem families and redeem people, we redeem time. Why has God given you this day? Whether you're 35 or 95, why has God given you this? He's given you one more day. And you got to keep going. You got to keep on mission. You can't be trusting in a security that is not in your hands. At the same time, we have to be stewarding the day that God has given us. Verse 12 is really key here as you think about this finish line. Verse 12, and this verse is actually repeated in verse 20, but a little, in a little different way. It says this, man in his pomp will not remain. He is like the beasts that perish. I don't, I don't, I've looked at the Hebrew. I've looked at, I just don't know why the ESV just decided to translate it pomp. I really like the NIV translates it uh, in his riches. And it, the best way to put it is in the pomp, in the glory of his riches. So the Hebrew would say, not just that he's proud, but that he's proud in his riches. He's proud in his wealth. And he says, man who is proud in his wealth is not going to remain. In other words, that's not going to help you live longer. You can't, you, you can't ransom your life with that. That can't be your security. The Lord is in control of these things. He's in control of your finish line. Which then, of course, leads us to the next question. Question number four that comes out in verses 13 through 15. Is wealth my God or is God my wealth? Now before you get impressed with me about the way I worded that, let me just say Mike Andrus, pastor, Dr. Mike Andrus, pastor at an EV Free Church in uh, Wichita, Kansas, 
he's the one who said this when he addressed these things. And I just love it. Is wealth my God or is God my wealth? That's what the psalmist is ultimately getting at. Again, I, I, just, I just don't know why the ESV translated uh, the Hebrew here in verse 13, foolish confidence. Um, I think it's better translated self-confidence, a confidence in fool, and the fool is really referring to us when we foolishly trust ourselves. The NIV, I think, says it great, those that trust in themselves. So this is the path of those who trust in themselves, who have self-confidence. And as he speaks, he says death is going to be their shepherd. Literally, in the Hebrew, it says death will graze on you. What a contrast that is, isn't it, from Psalm 23? Here it says death will be your shepherd if you trust in yourself. And in Psalm 23, what does David say? The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my God. He's my key. You know, the reality that the the psalmist is trying to get across to us is a reminder that judgment, death and judgment are coming. How are you going to prepare for that? Death and judgment are coming. How are you going to prepare for that? Most of us are old enough in this room to remember uh, 1979 when Hal Lindsey's book, The Late Great Planet Earth, came out. I am not recommending you read that book. I'm not, I'm not in any way advocating for that book. Or I'm just saying, remember that? It was a big deal. The New York Times actually called it the greatest nonfiction book of the decade. And of course, it was all about uh, the end times and what was going to happen as... Uh, you know, the, the tribulation and all that, wrapping things up, the rapture and all that, God's judgment, and uh, a lot of wacky stuff in there that isn't actually biblical at all. But there's one thing that came out of that that I think was helpful for us that I think we've lost, and that is in the late 70s and early 80s, we did a whole lot of thinking about Christ's return. There was a whole lot of thought about judgment. I don't think this is a good way uh, to lead teenagers to Christ. But I was in youth group during those years, and in my church, in my youth group, there was a whole lot of focus on, hey, Jesus might come tomorrow, how are you going to do with that? And so a lot of us kind of went to Jesus because we were terrified that he might come tomorrow, we might be in trouble. Again, not the greatest way to come to Christ, but the Lord will use anything, and that's what he used in some of our lives. But the good side of that was, we actually thought about the reality of Christ's return and judgment. I think one of the dangers of today is we're not thinking about it anymore. Not that we need to to be terrified of it, but not thinking about it in the context of how we live. And so instead of thinking about our wealth being in God, instead our God becomes wealth, our security. That's the point, right? Security and control. Instead of going, you know what? My security and my control are in God because today... Today Christ could return. Today I could die in a car accident. Today I could, could die of, of something, you know, a heart attack, whatever. That could happen today. I'm not in control of that. So I need to live in the reality, the context, that God is in control of these things, and I need to have my security 
in him. My, my control, I'm turning over to him. I'm not going to be trusting in my riches. Or even more practically, going back to my ride home from uh, uh, amen to fix my water pipe. God is in control of whatever craziness is going on in my house right now. God has something to teach me. God has not left me. And yeah, I haven't had a kitchen sink, a dishwasher, or counters for weeks and weeks, and I'm tired of eating off of paper plates. But it's not a big deal. There is so much more for me in this life. There's so many more important things than that. Todd, is your, Todd, is your, is your wealth in your kitchen? <laughs> is, that your, is that your comfort, or is it the Lord? Are you really going to be thrown off by that? And I, in light of eternity, that's the point, right? In light of eternity, this stuff just doesn't matter. In light of eternity, it changes my perspective on anything backwards from that. Now I can look at, uh, at any event in my life today and go, you know what? There's bigger stuff going on in this world. And Christ is going to return. And there's a mission for me to accomplish. And I can't be caught up in that. And even as he talks about those who trust in themselves, it's interesting. Not only does he say death uh, shall be their shepherd, but he's saying, hey, in the morning, like in a short time, verse 14, in the morning it's going to be over. You're not going to be ruling over yourself. And in your life, everything, your security is going to be consumed. And then verse 15, so key. In fact, it's the key verse of the entire psalm. Fascinating that the psalmist, a thousand years before Christ writes this. But God will ransom my soul from the power of Sheol, for he will receive me. And what I think is so fascinating is that the psalmist writing this is confident that God will provide salvation for him, that God will provide the ransom for him, but he doesn't know what that'll look like. I love the way God is working in the arc of human history and his redemptive history. This psalmist, a thousand years before Christ, is confident, is sure that God will ransom, will pay for, will, will, there'll be a price to be paid, and God will take care of him. God will ransom his soul, and God will receive him. And the crazy part is, he doesn't know how. And the awesome part this morning is you and I do. We're on this side of the cross. We know exactly how God is going to ransom. We know the, the costly, the, the, the price that needs to be paid has been paid. It has been finished. So you and I don't face death with fear. We don't face judgment with fear. If your life is hidden in Christ, you have a confidence. You have all the wealth you need to pay the price. It's already been done. In fact, Isaiah talks about that the Lord has provided double for all your sins. Not only is the, the price, the ransom, the cost of your life immense, but the grace of God is so more immense that Isaiah would say, hey, actually, God has paid double the price. Like there's way more enough to cover you. And so you walk with confidence into facing judgment not in yourselves, not in what you've done, not in good works, not in anything about yourself, 
but a confidence in, man, Christ has paid the ransom. And if this psalmist can have confidence that God will receive him, and he doesn't even know about the cross yet, how beautiful it is for us this morning to go, we know about the cross. We can have confidence that if I die today, the Lord will receive me. And I'm sure of it. I'm sure of it. Which then leads us to the last question, and that's this. How do I live today? How do I live today? And the psalmist really writes out two things. First, he says, don't be afraid. Literally, the word in the Hebrew there is, don't be overawed by wealth. In other words, as you search for security and control in your life, don't be over-amazed. Don't be drawn in by the great temptation to seek wealth as your security and your control. Don't be overawed. You don't have to live that way. Because Christ is your security. He is your control. Don't be overawed by wealth. And then verse 20 as it concludes, a little twist on verse 12. So same phrasing, but look what he says. Man in his pomp, and remember the Hebrew there is pomp in his riches or glory in his riches. Man in the glory of his riches, yet without understanding, is like the beast that perish. So the riches aren't the problem. The understanding's the issue. Man in the glory of his riches, man in whatever wealth God has given you, a little bit or a lot, Without understanding, man, you're just, like, you're just like your pet dog who doesn't even know what's going on. So have understanding. Live with understanding. What is that understanding? What is the psalmist trying to get across to us? He's saying, hey, live with this. Live with the discernment between the perishable and the imperishable. Live with discernment over what is time-bound and what is eternal. Live with that understanding. Whatever, whatever's in your bank account, approach today, approach today with a discernment about what is perishable and imperishable, about what is time-bound and eternal. If I live long enough, I'm probably going to replace those cabinets again. <laughs> live in that reality, Todd. Don't panic about that. And you know what? You probably won't live long enough, Todd, to replace him a third time. Praise the Lord. <laughs> and when you get to heaven, there'll be eternal cabinets and eternal counters. <laughs> and you're going to be there a lot longer than you're going to be here. Live with that reality, Todd. Go out today and understand what counts for eternity and what only counts for the next few years. And make sure you place the right value in those. I close with this. this, this all this thought, it ended up with me pulling this book off my shelf this, during my study this week. And I just, I had it next to all my study stuff for uh, this psalm all week long because I kept referring to it. This small book that came out just a couple years ago, I would highly recommend, I'm not recommending Hal Lindsey's book, I would highly recommend this book. This book is written by David Gibson. David Gibson is a pastor in uh, Aberdeen, Scotland, of Trinity Church there, uh, a, a younger man, and he has written an amazing book on the book of Ecclesiastes. This book is called Living Life Backwards. 
And I read this uh, a little over a year ago, and it was transformative for me. And that's exactly what the psalmist is saying. You need to live life backwards. You need to understand your final destiny, and then recognizing that Christ has paid the price for this, that your days are numbered, that you won't live any longer, not one day longer or one day less than God wants you to now, but that's your security. Looking backwards, how will you live life? How will, you, how will you do that? And you remember, and turn in your Bibles finally to Ecclesiastes 12. You remember in Ecclesiastes, the whole point of the, of the experiment, the thought in there, is exactly what's happening here in Psalm 49. It's, how do I solve this? What, where is there pleasure in life? What, what's the point of wealth? What's the point of accumulating things? How can I find happiness, the writer of Ecclesiastes says. Can I find it in wealth? Can I find it in drugs? Can I find it in sex? He goes through all of those. And he's using, this is wisdom literature, there in Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, thinking about these things. And he comes to a conclusion after all his thoughts. And this is the conclusion, Ecclesiastes 12, verse 13. And this is the conclusion for us today, brothers. This is the end of the matter. All has been heard. Fear God and keep His commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. This is the whole duty of man. Be in awe of God. Fear Him, not fear the wealth. Or be in awe of wealth. And keep His commandments. For this is our whole duty. And that's how we live. That's how we walk out of here. Confident that the price has been paid that your eternity has been secured. And now recognizing that, recognizing you won't die a day before you're supposed to, and you won't live a day longer than God intends, walk out of here live that life with confidence. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the beauty and truth that you give us in your word. Lord, we are greatly tempted to be overawed by wealth. We are greatly tempted to... To think that if we had a little more, our lives would be easier and better. And Lord, the stuff that we do have, we quietly boast when we can afford a certain meal or when we can afford a certain repair in our home or when we can afford to go to a certain place on vacation. Lord, forgive us for that shallowness and foolishness. And help us to live with whatever you've given us. Help us to live with understanding with discernment between the perishable and the imperishable. And Lord, let us live with confidence and joy and freedom in this day because you have ransomed our soul and you will receive us. Lord, we make these prayers in Jesus' name and all of God's people said, Amen. Amen.